Thank you. Good afternoon and welcome everyone. And before I begin, I just wanted to say a special thanks to the Royal Irish Academy and Sarah McCleave of the Erin Project at Queen's University Belfast, and particularly to Siobhan for inviting me to speak on at this very aptly named exhibition, Discovering Thomas Moore. Moore has been an abiding source of interest for me for many years and indeed for most of my adult life. And I think there are always new things waiting to be discovered in Moore. Uh, his work seems to have a bearing on so many fields of interests. And I'm so delighted to see the exhibition from 2008 celebrating 200 years of the Irish melodies, which is here. And it's very informative if you have a few minutes to, to read it at the end. It would be really worthwhile. Um, I'm going to use music to illustrate my talk. All the tracks are taken from that complete archive recording collection, My Gentle Harp, uh, which was made at the same time as a companion for the exhibition. Um, it's a six CD compilation, as Siobhan mentioned, and it includes every one of the Irish melodies and some of them in different settings. So I'm going to return here to the beginning. Um, it's more songs that have held a particular fascination as they are of such a high quality and are still justly celebrated in the canon of Irish music. About a month ago, I produced that opera in Wexford, The Veiled Prophet, composed by Charles Villiers Stanford, the Dublin composer, and it had not been performed in 125 years. So it was based on Moore's Oriental romance, Lala Rook. Um, I think one of the most, the biggest attractions for Stanford was Moore's musical language, which was transferred over into the libretto of that opera. And it lends the work quite a unique quality. And it's really this musical language of Moore that is particularly tangible in the Irish melodies as well. And an aspect of the songs that doesn't often attract attention. It sets Moore apart from the poets, the other poets of his era. This ability to write words for music has often been misunderstood or indeed overlooked. Moore was extremely important in the canon of Irish music and music was extremely important to Moore. He was himself a noted singer in the drawing rooms of the aristocracy in England, where he promoted his songs. This painting of Moore in his study by an unknown artist clearly illustrates his interest in music. On the left is a square piano, which is was a piano of the period um, which Moore used to play when he accompanied his songs. And resting against the leg of the piano is a revival harp called a Royal Portable Harp, painted in green and decorated with gold shamrocks. And this is the harp that was given to Moore by the famous harp maker, John Egan, whose workshop, incidentally, is located very close to the academy here. It was just further down Dawson Street. And this is the very harp that now forms part of the Moore collection here at the Royal Irish Academy. And here it is in this glass case here, um, donated on his death by his wife, Bessie. So I'm sorry this isn't a better 
uh, picture here, but I think you can just about see that harp resting against the leg of the piano. And I think it's it's quite, quite a, a neat little tie up here with the Academy. On the top of the shelf on Moore's right is another tiny harp, which is hardly discernible. I'm sorry about uh, that, but um, it was also made by Egan as a gift for the poet's young daughter, Anastasia. It's just sitting on on its side on the very top left hand corner shelf. I don't know if you can. Can you see it? It's just about actually the picture is also here in the in the exhibition and you'll be able to see it perhaps in the exhibition. The gift of these two harps from Egan illustrates Moore's celebrity as one of the most famous Irishmen of his day and his strong connections to Irish music. He used many of the ancient harpers' airs in his songs, the Irish melodies, and thereby promoted Ireland's harp music to a new and much larger audience. He also increased interest in the ancient art of harping, as well as adding to the, the instrument's symbolism. This is the Trinity College harp. Ireland is singular as having the harp as one of its national emblems. Harpers had as their patrons the chieftains and kings of Gaelic Ireland. So the harp held an important cultural position from the earliest times. In the 12th century, Irish harps were widely admired and the harpers and the instrument symbolism was soon established. Particularly, it began to, be, uh, to appear on Tudor coinage. Harp iconography gained an added whiff of politics in the dying years of the 18th century through the volunteers and the United Irishmen. The most prominent motif of the volunteers was a winged maiden harp with a crown on top. It's exactly the same symbol that's used by Ryanair today. Um, and it made its appearance in the first songbook of the United Irishmen. Paddy's resource. The subtitle of one of the United Irish booklets was The Harp of Erin, and among the toasts and sentiments listed at the end of the little volume is The Irish Harp Tuned to Freedom. The Belfast Harp Festival, at which the 19-year-old Edward Bunting notated the Harper's heirs, was supported by the recently formed United Irish Society, and it is no coincidence that a commemoration of the French Revolution was organized by sympathizers on the 14th of July, 1792, just as the Harp Festival was drawing to a close. Thus, the politicization of the harp was already well in train before Moore began writing his Irish melodies, and none of its symbolism was lost on the poet. But it seems that these songs are not always correctly understood today. It is worth noting that the Irish melodies are frequently described as anecdotal, a view which fails to recognize the symbolic codes used by Moore in his lyrical writing. Once these are taken into account, it is clear that many are in fact closer to rebel songs. At a distance of more than 200 years, some of Moore's symbolic allegory 
and coded language is no longer fully understood. And Moore took his cue from the United Irishmen who used song to propagate their ideology. The harp is probably Moore's most significant trope, exposed through a dozen harp songs, as they may be called. Almost without exception, these songs naming the harp are patriotic and politically motivated, even though the instrument is often described as soft and gentle, the personification of a helpless victim rather than a steely victor. The harp that once through Tara's halls, I'm sure many of you are, all of you are aware of this song, it is said to represent Ireland's soul. The harp is nonetheless sleeping and no longer relates past glories as it hangs mute on Tara's walls. The practice of hanging harps on the wall is here highlighted to educate Moore's audience and publicize ancient Irish customs, and possibly also to divert the listener from any political intent. But as well as sleeping harps, there are within Moore harps that are free, gay, and joyful. And often they are as impotent as the harp on Tara's walls, and when awakened, have only sad, mournful songs to sing. Harps belonging to minstrels are iconic, such as the golden harps at the banquet seen in The Wine Cup is circling from the supplement of Moore's very last collection. This song emphasizes the glory of ancient battles within which the harp is contextualized. I wanted to play this song as an example of one of Moore's unknown harp songs. The thrust is heroic, particularly in keeping with the character of the tune. The singer here is Katie Kelly. stop it there there is another verse but uh, we have more music to play later um, the attribution of wildness to the harp is an interesting one um, Matthew Campbell has noted that five out of 15 examples of wildness in Moore directly relate to the to music and several of these are associated with the harp here are two examples in Moore's emigrant song, Though the Last Glimpse of Erin with Sorrow I See, the Ashleen poem is evoked as the soft harp breathes wildly, a reference to its animated and natural state. 
In the second verse of Dear Harp of My Country, tribute is paid to the harp's wild sweetness, confirming that patriot, soldier and lover may equally be moved by the harp's song. Those sentiments are strongly suggestive of United Irish precepts. The minstrel boy, the prized possession of the minstrel boy is his wild harp, which is slung behind him. The harp is heroically destroyed rather than be allowed to fall into enemy hands. But this is a more serious act of destruction than might be otherwise thought, as the harp is alive, it breathes and it speaks. And Moore tells us, one faithful harp shall praise Ireland, the land of song. The destruction of the harp may be interpreted as a violent and murderous act in the hands of the minstrel boy. boy to the war is gone in the ranks of death you'll find him his father's sword he hath girded on and his wild herbs long behind him in all those examples uh, wild is taken to mean natural romantic and untamed, rather than barbarous and savage, as the Irish were labelled in colonial propaganda. So the description can be seen to have political overtones. However, the term is reappropriated and its meaning subtly revised in line with the philosophical theories of Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and thus functions in a multi-dimensional capacity. I think this is a really important aspect of Moore's melodies because this was something that Moore actively strove to achieve. In other words, he wanted his songs to be sung in the drawing rooms of the aristocracy, but equally he wanted them to have a political intent and content. And it, he was able to do this through this symbolic allegory that he used, including the harp. The harp traditions were used to bolster the concept of the Irish as a cultured, welcoming and peace-loving people. A note to another harp song, The Legacy, gives the following information taken from O'Halloran. In every house was in every house was one or two harps, free to all travellers, who were the more caressed, the more they excelled in music. The origin of the harp here is an illustration from Daniel MacLeese. And Daniel MacLeese produced a book of illustrations of all of the Irish melodies, which is very beautiful and very well worth looking at. This is one of them here. And the origin of the harp, superficially at least, the, the, it, it doesn't seem to be a politically orientated harp in this song. And this is the song that the harp assumes its most vibrant fantasy form, as illustrated here. The origin of the harp lives in an improbable world. A startling picture is conjured up as an amalgam between the Ashling poem and the winged maiden harp. 
the text of verse 3 is worthy of note. Still her bosom rose fair, still her cheek smiled the same, while her sea beauties gracefully curled round the frame, and her hair shedding teardrops from all its bright rings fell over her white arms to make the gold strings. So the tresses of the sea siren's hair become the strings of the harp. And again, as you can imagine, this is really uh, another interpretation of the winged maiden harp. It's very fantastical for sure, but where are the political connotations here? A note given to this song refers to Moore's friend, Edward Hudson, who was active in the United Irish Movement. The song was modelled on one of his designs, which he carried out in charcoal on the walls of his cells while he was imprisoned in Kilmainham Jail. Hudson was eventually banished to America. Needless to say, Moore does not recount the details. Without exception, harp songs are of a high order in Moore. Matthew Campbell believes that the emotions of the past are imprisoned in the harp and certainly resonances of past times pervade the harp songs. But the most important aspect of Moore's harp is the fact that it is alive. It is a living, breathing entity, unlike the more inanimate lyre, which was occasionally made, makes an appearance also. The lyre does not possess the power of the harp or indeed its magical qualities, rather it is simply a vehicle for music in the minstrel's hands, and it does not breathe of its own accord. The living harp may be passive and drooping, or sleeping, as Moore puts it, but it nonetheless prevails through all its trials and tribulations, emerging with an unexpected and deep-seated strength. The farewell to my harp and my gentle harp are like twin songs. If there was any doubt of Moore's elevation of the harp, this may be dispelled by considering this song, first of all, Dear Harp of My Country, which is well known, uh, which ended the sixth collection of Moore, and the opening song of number seven, My Gentle Harp, the name of the song that gives the exhibition its name, these two songs act as twin songs following on from one another. So we have Dear Harbour My Country as the last song in the sixth collection and we have it at the beginning of the seventh collection My Gentle Harp. Dear Harp of My Country described by Adrian Patterson as a farewell to Moore's muse was originally intended as the valedictory song of the entire cycle. But for various reasons, Moore was persuaded to embark on a seventh number, and eventually he completed no less than ten numbers. Both these songs feature a slumbering harp which Moore awakens. In Dear Harp of My Country, the harp's magical powers manifest themselves through the popular romantic motif of the Aeolian harp bursting into life with the wind caressing its strings. Here the poet becomes the medium for the harp's expression, for he says, I was but the wind passing heedlessly over. So Moore becomes the wind 
that makes the Aeolian harp burst into life. It is surely significant that Moore's rekindling of the Irish melodies in number seven should resume with another harp. My gentle harp, once more I waken, the sweetness of thy slumbering strain. As already mentioned, this harp is capable of breathing. Now, breaths and sighs are also the stuff of romantic fiction, and a parallel can be drawn between Moore's songs and the novels of the Irish writer and harpist Sidney Owenson, or Lady Morgan. In Owenson's The Wild Irish Girl, and note the wild of the title, she was another follower of Rousseau. The protagonist, Glorvina, can weep, sigh and smile over her harp, and the instrument has the ability to breathe a spirit over the drooping soul of an Irishman, a motif which strikes a very similar chord to Moore. Since breathing is also as closely associated with the mechanics and expression of singing, the harp songs have further musical links. Breaths and sighs may not normally be associated with an instrument, but music is the medium used here to bring the harp's expression to life, as well as the other way around. The song uh, here is sung by Claudia Boyle, My Gentle Harp. The relationship between Harper and Bard is one that Moore continually explores in the Irish melodies. This link was cemented by the Harp Festival in Belfast in 1792, where the Harpers were described as descendants of our ancient bards. The difference between Harpers, minstrels and bars, bards is blurred in Moore, as they appear more or less interchangeable but it is noteworthy that, just as the harp and the lyre assume different levels of potency, the bard and the minstrel are not equal. Thus, while the harp has powerful potential, the minstrel who plays it does not. In the song, She is Far From the Land, the minstrel persona is chosen rather than the bard as an index of Moore's inability to alter the reality of Robert Emmett's death. And as we know, in the case of the minstrel boy, neither harp nor minstrel warrior survive. Moore's heroic songs had already been prefigured 
in Celtic literature. Macpherson's tales of Ossian recount warriors taking inspiration from the battle songs of the bards accompanied by the harp. Such images were soon borrowed to support political ideology, as Mary Helen Thwente recounts. Macpherson's recurring image of harp music created by the wind or spirits, inspiring the words of the bard songs, prefigured a major mode in Irish nationalist poetry and indeed in Irish nationalist song. In Macpherson's poems, harps and battle shields are hung side by side on the ancient walls, underlying the links between the two, first propagated through literature and then later through music. The ancient context and the overtones of war in bardic songs was also used by Charlotte Brooke in her Relics of Irish Poetry, where a familiar warlike call to arms may be noted along with the notion of the broken harp characterised by Moore in The Minstrel Boy. As we have seen, Moore's texts politicise the harp through the Irish melodies. But the harp was also visually politicised through the frontispieces of the collections. Harps and harpers feature on six out of the ten numbers, making it the most prominent illustrative icon and further adding to the harp's political significance. This is a detail of the illustration from number one, which signals the destruction of Irish culture and civilization. A small ruined castle, or it has been described as a, a round tower, is just visible in the background to the left. But of more interest is the oak tree in the middle ground, which is partially dead, but for the new and vigorous branch growing on the right. The left-hand side of the scene signals destruction and decay, while the right promises hope and new life, both concepts represented extensively in Moore's lyrics. The harp presented here shows almost no resemblance to the wire-strung harp of the ancient harpers. Actually, it appears more modern than ancient, and the frame seems rather flexible and fragile, hardly sturdy enough to be played. Nonetheless, this ethereal-looking harp leans harmoniously towards that living branch, echoing the United Irish slogan, it is new strung and shall be heard. This is the crest of the United Irishman, and you can see it there, it is new strung and shall be heard on the bottom of the winged maiden harp. As well as that caption, the United Irishman's crest featured the Phrygian cap or Liberty cap, one of their key symbols inspired by the French Revolution and here mounted on top of a long spear. But compare this to the illustration on the fourth number of Moore's Irish Melodies. There it is again, the long spear and the Phrygian cap. Here it's held by Hibernia who with the other hand is honouring the harper on her left hand side. Worthy of note is the contrast between the two figures in the picture. Hibernia is wearing classical garments while addressing the Celtic form 
of the kneeling harper. The female figure is bathed in light and appears almost celestial or even magical, invoking once more the Ashleen poem where Ireland is, is represented as a crownless queen. On the other hand, the harper is a figure of the earth and of Ireland, and darker clouds loom above his head. He must be well used to the rain, no doubt. The illustration used for both the official London edition of number eight and the pirated Dublin version is represented here. We haven't got time to go into this, but number eight was the first version where um, the two brothers who published the Irish melodies, uh, James and William Parr, actually fell out with one another. And James Parr was publishing in London and he um, managed to get the rights to publish the Irish melodies while William Parr was not allowed to publish them anymore. But what William Parr did with number eight was he actually pirated the London edition and produced his own edition. I, you probably can't see it there, but the one on the left-hand side says Dublin at the bottom of it, and the other one says London on the right-hand side. Um, and the one on the left-hand side um, uh, has symphonies and accompaniments by Sir John Stevenson, who was a Dublin composer who did all the first volumes of the Irish Melodies. And then the one on the right-hand side is by Henry Rowley Bishop, who was a very celebrated English composer. So they replaced um, Stevenson with Bishop in the rest of the numbers. But however, what I really wanted to talk about here was that the so-called Brian Baru harp is lit from behind by a sunburst, while the paraphernalia associated with the battlefield lies beneath. This is surely another oceanic scene. Moore offered an explanation, particularly for the sunburst. Um, At once, like a sunburst, her banner unfurled, he said. The sunburst being the fanciful name given by the ancient Irish to the royal banner. This dreamlike representation carries an important message, for the harp is ready for battle and draws its strength from the sunburst. In conclusion, it is worth noting that Moore was heavily criticized for the political connotations in his songs, and as a result, he was keen to distance himself from censure as much as possible. Using the allegory of the harp allowed Moore to leave the door open to different interpretations by encompassing politically challenging ideas and motifs while fudging the political intent within the harp's musical qualities. Espousing revolutionary theories in song was a safer and more effective mode of dissemination than oratory, especially when licked to seemingly harmless tropes of the harp. Nonetheless, through both the lyrics of the songs themselves and the illustrations associated with the early editions, it may be seen that the harp was consciously used as a political trope, embodying the fashion for Celticism, the ideals of the United Irishmen, and the mystique of the ancient harpers and bards evoking a glorious past culture and a potential future for Ireland.
The harp ticks other boxes too, acting as a reminder of Moore's sheer joy in and fascination with music. And thus it becomes a powerful and multi-dimensional trope in the Irish melodies. To finish, I wanted to play the farewell to Moore's muse, Dear Harp of My Country, the final song in number six, which if you remember was intended to be the last song in the series before Moore was persuaded to write more. As a result, Moore let down his guard somewhat in this song. In a footnote, he alludes to the first song in the United Irishman's songbook, Paddy's Resource, and quotes from the song, the dark chain of silence was thrown o'er the deep. Moore has in his song, the cold chain of silence had hung o'er thee long. So you can see that it's almost a direct quote. The singer here is Anne Murray.